Welcome to the Five Hole Fantasy Hockey Podcast. We're your hosts today, TJ, Zach, and Raj. Hey there. Hey, hey, hey. So today, we are starting something exciting. We're running it for the next four weeks. We're doing our divisional previews. We're going to take segments of four teams at a time. So today, we're going to start in the Central. We're going to talk Nashville, Winnipeg, St. Louis, and Dallas. Later on in the week, we're going to do Colorado, Arizona, Chicago, Minnesota. The next week will be the Metro, and then so on and so on. We're breaking them up into two episodes apiece. That way we can get a little more in-depth without going six hours an episode. What we want to do today, like I said, we're doing fantasy team previews broken down by the division. As always, you guys can find us in the Fantasy Hockey Discord, whether you want to find the Monday Mock link drops, or if you want to talk to us about the show today, maybe we forgot somebody, maybe we didn't dive as deep as you would have liked, or you know, maybe we said something that, that raised some questions. You can always hit us up there or on Twitter at FHF Hockey. You know, there, there's been some trades, you know, Jeff Petrie, John Marino, Ty Smith, that kind of thing. We're going to save that for their specific teams. And today with talking about Dallas, we're still presented with the question of John Klingberg. So we don't really know what's going to go on there. So we're going to talk different scenarios. What happens if he does sign? What happens if he goes somewhere else? And we're hoping that he doesn't sign with Winnipeg, St. Louis, or Dallas, because, you know, we're already talking about those teams. But we want to start in Nashville who finished right smack dab in the middle of the league, 16th, 45-30, and 7. Then they were swept by Colorado, which I thought was kind of funny just considering Duchesne wanted to get out of Colorado because he wanted to go to a winning team. You are so stupid. It's poetry. It writes itself. Riddich took the starts there because Soros was hurt. Do you think they would have stolen a game or two if Soros was healthy? Maybe one. Saros is pretty amazing, but Colorado is on a mission, man. Yeah, I think it, it would have been no question on who would have won the series. But I, I agree with you, Raj. I think that Saros, I think he could have gotten one. I, I think they would have lost four to one, but I think Saros could have gotten one. He is incredibly good. He is good. And this is not a knock on Saros. I'm with you guys. Maybe they would have stole one, but it's just Colorado is so fucking good. Uh, Nashville, 13th in goals four. For the last few years, we've been just blasting the Predators' power play. This year, they had the fifth best power play, tied with Florida, if that tells you anything. The year prior, 23rd, 25th the year before that, and then they were last in 18-19. They haven't been a top-half power play since 17-18, the year after I think they went to the finals. Uh, back, P.K. Subban was there. We're, we're almost in Mike Fisher times, if, if you guys remember Mike Fisher. That's how far back we have to go for Nashville to have like a really strong power play, and they did it this year. Uh, key additions of subtractions. They brought in Kevin Lankin in. David Riddich is now in Winnipeg. Uh, they got rid of Luke Kunin, who's just signed today in uh, San Jose. The overview of Nashville. Raj, what do you think about Nashville right now? I know you have strong feelings one way or another for Ellie Tolvanen, but uh, you know what's what's your overview of Nashville right now? I think it's pretty close to the same as this year. I don't... They had a great power play, but they had five players who got power play points, and that was it. 
they had one line and and part of that line was Matt Duchesne scoring 43 goals which I just can't see that happening again I don't know maybe maybe I'm way off but I don't see them getting any better really unfortunately unless like you said they do have uh, our favorite young guns there Tomasino and Tolvan and if they start playing to the level we wanted them to then uh that could that could add even more offense I just I, I see them in about the same boat fair enough Zach I saw you pretty adamant for Philip Tomasino talk what do you think of Nashville you know are they still a middle team going into next year they kept Philip Forsberg so that's great What's your read on Nashville? You had to keep Philip Forsberg. He is your number one forward. Close one, yeah. Philip Forsberg also had a fantastic year last year. Like, he scored way more goals than he ever had. I believe 14 more goals than he ever had previously. But it's those 42 assists. you got to wonder if they're going to be there. Because you have to ask yourself, do you trust Matt Duchesne? Now, everybody knows I don't. I don't trust Matt. <laughs> None of us did all year. We were calling him unsustainable so, the whole year. Yeah, and 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 I and I still put it that way. He is going to get overdrafted because Matt Duchesne will get drafted this year unless he is, you know. And and I'm not saying don't draft him. I'm just saying don't overdraft him. But I am interested in like a second line with Philip Tomasino on it. I am very interested in picking up off the waiver a Tanner Janot, Colton Sisson, or Yakov Trenin on that third line. I actually really like that third line. I think that that third line is a better line than, you know, most of the lines in NHL hockey. So I'm a big fan of that line number three. You did say that their power play came back last year. And it's like, how? You, you asked it, you look at that power play and it's Rijo, it's Granny Panties, Philip Forsberg, Yossi, and the douche, Matt Duchesne. Like, how did this team, how did this power play have the fifth best power play tied with a fantastically awesome team on offense as the Florida Panthers? It's just, it's hard to believe. I think that there could be some, you know, really good waiver wire fodder here on this team. And I think that's what it's going to come down to. I mean, obviously your best best player is going to be Roman Yossi. He's a keeper in most leagues, Philip Forsberg. And after that, like, I don't know. I think it's open season. No, I'm really glad you brought that up about the power play. I actually reached out to Brooks Bratton uh, is no longer writing for Nashville. Adam Vinian uh, left the athletic for Nashville. So there's like one beat writer in Nashville left. I reached out to him. I was like, hey, man, like, where did this power play come from? He says, um, I'd say there's much more fluidity between the point and the flank goal line net front with much less adherence to each player's assigned spots. So there's a, a lot of cycling going on. Uh, not knowing where Forsberg, Duchesne, or Yossi could end up during a cycle opened them up a lot more. It also, uh, Granlin could pass out of a lot of different areas. Johansson was dangerous from all three levels too. He likes the second unit. This is uh, Max Hers that I reached out to. He says the second unit was also solid earlier in the season, but not much as the time went on. So that power play, um, he likes them for sustainability. I think, you know, just looking under the hood, me leaning towards the sustainability metrics here, every single player on that top power play is redlining. Uh, yeah. Forsberg, his, his career average, 12.2 shooting percentage this year, 18.6. On-edge shooting percentage doubled for Forsberg. Very highly irregular range for him. 27 power play points. The Predators haven't had a 25-plus power play point scorer since P.K. Subban in 17-18. So we're going way back here. This year there were four. 
Granlin, Duchesne, Yossi, and Forsberg. <laughs> Yossi had 37. Yeah, and Johansson had 24, so he was right there as well, right? It's interesting. He said he considered uh, PP2 doing well like after that top line of all those 25, 30-point guys. Uh, the next highest was Tomasino with nine, and then there really wasn't much outside of that top PP, so I'm, I'm with you. It seems like a year of everyone overperforming. Well, like you said, the the early half, uh, Tomasino got six of his nine power play points in the first half of the year. So I wonder if if the second unit was just on a heater. You know, six power play points from a second unit guy is kind of, you know, that's pretty good for the first half. So we'll we'll see what happens next year. There is that top six spot available with Luke Kunin out of the picture. It could be Tanner Janot. It could be our boy Philip Tomasino. There's a lot to like here. It's got to be Tomasino. I hope so. It's got to be. I really do. I mean, they still have Cody Glass in the pipeline, somebody they could bring up and, you know, bolster their bottom six. He's a center anyway. He is. We'll see what happens there. Ryan Johansson, man, shot 22%. That's double his career average. We all know Ryjo. He is a playmaker. His bread and butter is assists. Somehow, he just went on a heater. He shot 26% on the power play, too. He only had nine primary assists at even strength, and 14 of his 37 assists were primary. So just doubling up on this unsustainability of a lot of their top players uh, you know, it goes even further into Duchesne, who had a really high on-ice shooting percentage, uh, 14, which is ridiculous at all strengths. At 5v5, almost 12. So all five of the Predators are inside the top 20 highest on-ice shooting percentages. You know, this is rare air, unsustainable air for these guys to be breathing. You're, you're going to find Chris Kreider here, Rob Thomas, Ryan Strom, other guys that I have in my regression list this year. It's just tough. And with all of those forwards projecting to be uh, negative regression candidates, that is bad for Yossi. We've we've talked about that. I, I know it was a couple of episodes when, remember when we were talking about who do I want to keep as my defensive keeper, you know, a Yossi or a Headman. And you look at just the straight stats and you think to yourself, well, Yossi's the obvious answer, you know? But that that regression looks like it's going to be so real like it's going to be so real and he's going to have you know such an uphill battle to try to do what he did last year and it all comes down to the, to his teammates and the fact that you, you I love the term they're all redlining because it's true they're all playing better than they've ever played before and this isn't Ryan Johansson Ryan Johansson's the guy that I've dropped at least once a year for the past <laughs> 5 years yeah, not this year <laughs> You know who I do like if you're in a bangers league is Tanner Janot would be a great streamer. Dude had over 300 hits last year and 24, 24 goals. Tanner Janot is a great streamer either way. 24 goals, 318 hits, 64 blocks even for a line three forward. I think he's like a value streamer. He's played almost 100 games. His career average as it stands right now is a 19% shooting percentage. I want to see more before I you know, declare my faith in him as like a, a high efficiency shooter or anything like that. But it seems like everything says unsustainable at this point. But, you know, this this could be the guy. He could be that player. It's hard to say. He's 25. Those hits are what you're drafting for. Those That's why he's on your team. The goals are kind of just like a pleasant surprise. And if he is this dual threat, that's invaluable. The shots at one and a half a game, man. If he bolsters that, I mean, he saw 16 
minutes of time on ice this year. So uh, there's no reason you shouldn't be shooting more than two shots a game. Right now, he's on probation for me. Totally. I, I like the hits. The hits are there. Hits are going to be there next year. Goals, I'm a little less certain. And I mean, a couple other moves uh, in the offseason otherwise were more defensive. Like they got McDonough, they got Jeremy Lazan, who I actually like as as a hockey player, but he's just a not a fantasy guy. So it'll be interesting to see how playing time breaks down, but there's definitely no no one who's going to challenge Yossi for the power play to minutes. No, they even got rid of uh, Jeremy Davies, who if you're in a dynasty circle was a bit of a weird move. Like he was... He was like the next Dante Fabro in their system. And, you know, he they didn't qualify him. He signs with Buffalo. Really strange move. I, I think what there is to like about Nashville is there's so many role players. We got Janelle. We got Trennan, who's a banger. Uh, McDonough is going to be good for bangs. There are guys like, you know, Duchesne, who it can cash in on the power play. There's Johansson, who's an assist first. The addition of Zach Sanford. Did they get Zach Sanford? Yes. Okay. There's another key. I, th- I think I think he's a great depth move, and that's what we're talking about right now is depth. Yeah. That you know the addition of Cody Glass and the addition of Zach Sanford are fantastic depth moves, so that you know when, uh, you know when Philip Forsberg gets hurt for a little bit or Ely Tovan gets hurt for a little bit, Zach Sanford can move up and has had time in the top six in St. Louis. So at least knows what it's like and knows what's ex- uh, expected. I-, I like that move. That's one of my favorite offseason moves that they actually made. With the kind of like satellite players here, we've touched a little bit on Tolvan, and I want to know your guys' take on him. Like, which Tolvan are we going to see? Are we going to see the first year Tolvan or the second year Tolvan? Then there's Philip Tomasino. Deployment's going to play a lot into that one. And then there's Mikhail Granlin, and that's where I want to start here. Zach, I remember you and I back in the old days, man, Mikhail Granlin in Minnesota. That's what we wanted back in 2017, 18. He was putting up like 70 points. Did we witness a return to his his Minnesota ceiling days? Now, he didn't put up the 20 goals that he was in Minnesota, but he had 53 assists, which is nutsy. 28 power play points. And why did he have 53 assists? Because Philip Forsberg had 14 more goals than he's ever had in his entire life. And Matt Duchesne made a wish with it, found it friggin' genie bottle. Nashville has never had a 40 goal scorer this year. They had two. So they're, it's just, it's just hard to believe that that's going to happen. So you'd have to think, you'd have to think that Grandlid's going to take a step back too. You'd have to think that the more likely that, you know, he's not actually a 30, a 30 point player or a 27 point player like we've seen the prior two years. But I think, you know, Take at least 10 points off of that that 64, maybe somewhere in like the low 50s is where I'm putting him because he's not going to be the shooting threat. Even if Duchesne does take a step back, him and Philip Forsberg are going to be the one shooting, not Mikhail Grandma. He's still going to be thriving on assists, so he's going to have to rely on those two players. And if they don't have the same shooting percentage this year, it's not going to happen. It was weird for him to step back in shots. I actually like Ely Tolvanen better because I I think that Ely Tolvanen has a higher upside because he can do it himself. Michael, uh, Mikhail Granlin, I I don't think can. Now, Granlin took a pretty hefty dip in shots on goal per game. Uh, despite seeing the best time on ice he's ever had. Uh, only one and a half. Now, these two seasons in Minnesota where he really stuck out, he was over two, close to two and a half, hit two and a half, and is actually his uh, career year. 
But I wonder if if those assists evaporate, right? Because everybody, we're expecting them to come back down to earth. But his shots and his shooting percentage comes back. I, I wonder if it's a wash for him. He might land somewhere at 55 to 60. I know you said low 50s, but I think if if those shots come back, there's no reason he can't get another five or six goals. I had 53 in my mind for some reason. The number 53 is what stuck out to me. His role obviously changed, right? Like he definitely became a playmaker and obviously setting up mm-hmm. Forsberg and Duchesne. So you never know, right? Like like you said, it might wash out if, if people start to key more on Duchesne and Forsberg next year. Maybe they start passing around the horn a little bit more and he gets a few more goals, takes a few more shots. But I mean, yeah, he's, he didn't take many shots at all. I'm re- I'm just so curious about like if the lineup stays the same, if the lines stay the same. I'd assume they will. But you got guys like Tolvanen who just wants to shoot. You got Tomasino who's almost had as many shots as uh, Grandland did way last time on ice. So Tolvanen doesn't shoot enough. He has a, he has a great shot, but he doesn't shoot enough. He shot twice a game you know, this year. Twice a game for the first time. Yeah, I think what Nashville is going to depend on in terms of like fantasy is where the rest of your league values them. Cause if people are like, well, Duchesne's a 40 goal scorer, I am definitely not drafting him to be on par with Philip Forsberg. You know, I mean, he had more points than Forsberg. Uh, Forsberg had less games, but I'm definitely personally not valuing Duchesne on par with Forsberg. So if your league goes strictly by the numbers from last year, I'd be leaving a lot of these players alone. Yeah, value is going to determine a lot of this. Now, on Ellie Tolvanen, you guys aren't going to like this, but I, I think you know you look at his 2021 season where he did get top power play. He had six power play goals of his 11. He wound up with 22 points in 40 games for a 45-point pace. This year, he only had one power play goal, and that was from the second unit. So just without top power play, I don't think he hits 50, which is tough because we're, we're huge Tolvanen fans, and it sucks. I like his shot. He has a pretty shot. He's got a laser. And I think Tomasino, there's a lot to like there. But if there's not room in the top six, I'm worried. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if he's a bottom six guy, it's it's just going to be another year of, of waiting. And if they lean on one power play as heavily as they did this year, that's tough luck for both of those guys. Like you were saying earlier on, uh, it's kind of feast or famine between the two power play units. I mean, Yossi had 37 and what do you say? Tomasino led the second unit with nine. So that's yeah. That's a that's a very stark contrast there, um, and that just like paints a picture of of what you want in Nashville. This top power player bust, which leads me into the defensemen outside of Yossi, like Matthias Ekholm, Dante Fabro. Is there any depth value here for Ekholm? I mean, I I think Ekholm is your number two, or at least he's my number two. I like him just because. I mean, he does have that number, that number two power play, but really, he's just he's just steady as she goes, man. Like he's always getting hits, he's always getting blocks. He's just a role player in general. He's your fourth best defenseman. He's the kind of guy that you can switch in and out. I think he has a role on a team to play. You know what I mean? And I, and I even mean a fantasy role. I pick up Matthias Ekholm all the time, and I don't, I don't worry about it. He goes on hot streaks too. He's known to do that. So. Yes. You know, it's, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he goes on like a one-month streak next year. Oh, if y- Yossi goes down for a few games or something like that, he's definitely a good place to look. There's your guy. All right, boys, the goalies, uh, UC Soros. I think all of us here are 
huge fans of UC Soros. They got rid of Riddick, and now they have Kevin Lankin in. Soros is going to pull volume. He saw the most games out of any goalie in the NHL last year, 67. Very strong high-danger save percentage. Nashville did an okay job of limiting close chances in terms of high-danger shots against, yada, yada. Soros saw the fifth fewest high-danger chances against. Only Boston, both their goalies, Olmark and Swayman, uh, Talbot in Minnesota, and strangely enough, Grubauer in Seattle saw fewer high-danger shots against per game, which is really weird. I don't understand that one, but it's hard not to be confident in Soros next year. So I'd be surprised if you guys didn't agree with me there. I think the goal support might have come down a little bit, but I think there's enough in the defense there to lead me to believe that Soros is going to have an equally great year. Evolving Hockey has them as the seventh best defensive team, by the way, of expected goals against. I have confidence in UC Soros. I think their defense is solid enough. Top five goalie to me. For sure. And as I, like I said earlier, I think they got two more really good defensive defensemen in this offseason. So I, I have no worries about Soros whatsoever. And I mean, I guess Lankinen did spend some time as a starter, if you want to call it that. Yeah, but think about it. Like Riddick did too. And I, I feel like we had the same conversation last year. Yeah, I think Soros will probably get at least, at least 60 games, probably 65 again. and Floor. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, he's he's um, he's money. So fucking money. I mean, you know that I agree. I've been pulling for UC Soros since you know yeah. before Pekka Rene. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I've been calling for this for years that he should have been the starter for a long time. And it's great because he's he's below six foot, and you know people like to talk a lot of shit on smaller goalies, and and Soros is kind of breaking that mold, which is great. Uh, in terms of their prospects, just to close out Nashville. Uh, they have Cody Glass. I'd expect to see him this year. Yaroslav Askarov, that's going to be you know a couple years down the road. Zachary LaRue, he's uh, somewhat of a banger, and I'm excited to see him. I think they did great this year landing Joakim Kamel. Fantastic draft pick. I'm, I'm excited. They you know they bolstered their their pipeline a lot to be excited about in, uh, in Nashville, even with the kids coming up. Remember, I thought Kamel was going to go top 10. Yeah, and they got him, I think, at 16. He dropped. I, I Yeah, that was a... That was a great steal. Yeah, like sixteen or seventeen. It was it was the latter it was the latter half of the teens. I think they got like guys like Fyodor Svechkov. Like there there's 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 players there. They have they have a pretty good pipe. All right. Anything left in Nashville? Left unturned? I'm good. Winnipeg, baby. J E T S. Jets, Jets, Jets. Oh, wrong sports. Sorry. Uh, close enough, unfortunately. <laughs> They finished 19th in the league, 39-32-11, 16th in goals for, smack dab in the middle of the league, 17th uh, in terms of power play, efficacy. Uh, there's so much drama surrounding the team right now. Paul Stasny has said it, it might be the worst room he's ever been in. You know, Paul Maurice quits out of nowhere. Barry Trotz would have been their key addition, but he decided to take time off. Mark Shifley stating he wants to know what direction the team is going. PLD has said he already plans to go to free agency after I think it was in the summer of 24 is when he hits free agency, and he's already coming out and saying that, you know, I'm not staying, which is wild. He, like, he he went to the draft in Montreal expecting to be traded that day, which, wild. Like uh, Stasny said, it's just, there's something about the vibe there that just, it's just a mess. I've heard that it's clicky, that, you know, there's not really a team atmosphere inside the room, which is weird. They're bringing in a new coach, Rick Bonus, who is not good for fantasy. Like, just look at what he did to Dallas. Um, their highest forward, Joe Pavelski, was 18 minutes, 28 seconds average time on ice. 
the Jets under Paul Maurice, Dave Lowry, Kyle Connor, 21 minutes, 47 seconds. If if Rick Bonus moves into Winnipeg and starts to roll lines, we're going to see Mark Shifley's 21 minutes go down. Blake Wheeler's 19 and a half go down. Dubois, almost 19 go down. Nikolai Ehlers, who knows what happens there? Maybe he finally gets the top power play. But, you know, Bonus is known for these rolling the lines, and it's good for guys that are lower in the lineup, but the guys that are higher in the lineup. Yeah, you're going to see a lot more on Mason. <laughs> yeah, <Apple. laughs> I mean, what are you going to do? There's so many question marks in Winnipeg this year. Like, you know, with Rick Bonus going in, he's partial to a 50-50 power play. And the D, like Josh Morrissey, Neil Pionk, were pretty much 50-50 last year, so it's not going to do much there. But I don't know. Uh, Kyle Connor, I think, is the main draw in Winnipeg. Career year, 97-point pace. It's it's not talked about enough that he almost hit 100 points, which is wild. 47 goals, second in the league at even strength, tied for fifth uh, with Kaprizov. This is what's amazing. Only eight power play goals out of those 47, 39 even strength goals. He's legit for sure, but beyond him, I d- it's pretty sketchy. I mean, and again, it's similar to Nashville. I think that it depends on how your league's viewing them. Like if people are looking at Blake Wheeler as prime Blake Wheeler, then dick right off. But <laughs> if they're looking at Blake Wheeler as a 17 goal scorer, like he was last year, then hey, maybe that's a, a last round pick or something like that. I'm treating Winnipeg as another streamer team, unless you can get Kyle Connor at a at a bargain. Well, I like I like Shifley too. I mean, you're not going to get Kyle Connor at a bargain. No, I don't think you are. <laughs> and yeah, Mark Shifley is great, but I I I think that Nikolai Ehlers is still fantastic. I think Nikolai Ehlers is gonna he's just gonna automatically get you 50, 60 points. You know what I mean? He's gonna get you at least twenty goals. He's going to get you assists because he's still on, like, a top six line. Um, so, I mean, I actually love Nikolai Ehlers on top of the fact that last year he had .88 per, points per game, which is his highest through his career. And he did it, you know, with just solid play. You know, he got a little bit of bump in time. He, he got a, a little over a minute more on time on ice. And we'll see what that happens with Rick Bonus. But I like Ehlers a lot here. Here's a stat that's going to blow your mind. I, I'm, I've been the, the Ehlers fanboy for a while now, and it kind of bit me in the ass last year. Nikolai Ehlers has 101 points in his last 109 games. That's a 76-point pace. And that's from the second power play. You know, we've all heard that he, quote-unquote, likes the second power play. The source on that is a, is a I don't want to lead the jury here, but it's an obscure quote from Paul Maurice that says he loves that unit and doesn't necessarily want to come off it. Which, you know, if you're a team player, you're going to say, yeah, I like the second unit. Like, I, I like this, you know, whatever, fine. But he got more power play time on ice this year than ever before and still came in at a 73-point pace. And, the, and what, you got a new coach come in. Maybe he's going to be, quote-unquote, forced onto the top power play unit. Mm-hmm. I'll say it again. 101 points in his last 109 games. 76-point pace from the second power play unit. If anybody thinks that he can't hit point per game with a top power play role... You're wrong. You're wrong. Only other thing I would throw into that is Nate Schmidt had 12 points on the second power play unit and the Jets. So he had more power play points. But um, no, I like Ehlers as well. And I think he is one guy that in drafts, he does tend to get forgotten about. Mm -hmm. I actually had that written down here in my notes is he's forgettable. He's He's just a guy that, you know, you'll look and it'll be like, you know, in double digit rounds and you're like, shit. Nikolai Ehlers is here. Yeah. 
put it at the top of your queue, and usually somebody snags him right before I get to pick him, but he's always like one of those late-round guys that like people just forget about. Do you know what else I'm actually really interested in? DFO has the first line as Kyle Connor, Pierre Luc Dubois, and Cole Perfetti right now. That would be wildly interesting to a person like me yeah. who likes him some Cole Perfetti. <laughs> Not to leave off Ehlers just yet, I want to add one more thing. He had a record high shot volume, which was identical to Kyle Connor's. Four shots a game this year. Four shots a game. Ridiculous. Mark Shifley, should we go there? I think there was a little bit of worry early in the season. Like a lot of us were like, where the hell is Mark Shifley? You know, because we've always said that he is the most consistent and the most projectable guy in the league. And this year, it wound up no different. Like the last six years, his point paces, 86, 92, 84, 84, 82, 85. His shot rates last six years, 2.4, 2.3, 2.4, 2.4, 2.1, 2.0. Shooting percentage, 18, 17, 17, 19, 18, 20. Tom and Ice is always above 20 minutes. He had a really rough 16 games. 17 games in, he took off. He turned the Jets on, if you will. Not funny! 62 points in his final 51 games. He missed the last nine games of the season, probably would have done even better. Yeah, I mean, if there's a guy that you can count on, we thought we were wrong last year, and it turned out to be exactly right again. Like, right <laughs> on pace after. Like, oh, he's fine. He's going to blow it. Look at this start he's had. And then, you know, right back to just over point per game. Yep. He's easy to project. Well, if you guys want to go to Wheeler, like, it's so easy to break him down. He's a 75-point player. You remember OEL for a long time? We were like, oh, my God, he hit 55 points. He's going to do it again. When's it going to happen? This, you know, false flag. Those years, he had, like, 35 and 40 power play points in his 90-point seasons. And he settled back into his 75. You look on either side of those 90-point seasons, it's 75. And that's the player he is. The outlier is those good seasons. So I think if you go into a draft expecting Blake Wheeler to be 75, you'll return value because he does offer you more than just points. He He's hitting. He's taking a bunch of face-offs if you're into that kind of shit. Um, you know, I think there's a, there's a time and a place for Blake Wheeler, but I just want to iterate, don't draft him as a 90-point guy. The whole thing is on those really good seasons where he had 90-plus points, his shooting percentage was lower than it ever had been. He had a bad shoot. Well, not bad shooting percentage. And the whole thing was his shots didn't go down or didn't go up or anything like that. His shots were still on par with usual and his shooting percentage went down, still scored 90 plus points. And there it was the assists. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? He still got the same amount of goals. Now, I do think that he has a viable chance to be a 20 goal scorer again. Do you not? Yeah, I mean, you look at his his last two seasons, 65 games, 50 games. 50 games is that uh, shortened season, 56-game season. Um, so I think he would have hit 20 goals in both of those. You know, just injury. I mean, the guy is what? He's 35 now. Yeah, and he's a big guy right. too, right? He'll be 36 before the season starts. He is a big guy. He's a power forward. An old 36. A lot of miles. The one thing I would say, I can still remember not that long ago when Wheeler was like a first-round draft pick in some leagues, and that is not the case. But he is a guy, I, I think you might be able to get him really late. His ADP has dropped a ton in the last couple of years, so you never know. Like last year, uh, he was, what, 122 was his ADP in fan tracks. So, you know, that's... That's five rounds after Ehlers. I think I dropped him last year. That's tough. 
Well, being a right wing, I think that's going to bolster his ADP. You know, right wing dries up real quick. So I think, you know, no matter what, Blake Wheeler is probably going to get on paper overdrafted. But the right wing scarcity, I think, is going to play into it. And if you look past that, like you, you might be able to pallet, you know, an eighth round pick or whatever. I don't know what his ADP is in our in our mock drafts right now, but right wing does dry up pretty quick. Cole Perfetti, boys. If Cole Perfetti can play defense, Rick Bonus will play him. But watch what happened with Morgan Frost. You know, Morgan Frost is an offensive guy, and he was asked to be like a third line checking role, and that stifles his his ceiling. So I wonder if that's going to happen with Perfetti, or if they're going to let him flourish a little bit offensively. So again, if DFO is right and he's inside that top six, I think DFO is off the rocker, putting PLD as the first line center over Shifley. But let's call it top six. Uh, if Perfetti's there in the top six, I like him a lot. You know, he put up seven points in 18 games last year, was the youngest NHL player, uh, is, I guess he's still up for the uh, Calder. So keep an eye out there. I think, yeah, it depends if he gets the the Frost treatment or the Jason Robertson treatment, right? Like, yeah, comes down to that, I think, because he's a, he's a great little player. Who do we have left? PLD yet? I mean, he did add fuel to the fire. He's, like I said, he already told the Jets that he's kind of over it which is really weird. But in terms of stats with the Jets and next year, I think this year everything went better for PLD. He tied his career high point pace, increased his shot volume to the highest it's ever been, saw the best time on ice, saw the best power play time on ice he's ever seen. He pims really well, uh, great power play points. He hits decently enough. If he keeps top power play, I don't think there's any reason he can't hit 60 again. I think Kyle Connor is a great line mate to have. So I, I like PLD. He's going to slip because center is so deep. So I think, you know, you might be able to get him in double digit rounds and that would be interesting. I'd like him there. And I think he's going to slip because over the past couple of years, people I feel like have gotten a bad taste in their mouth. Yeah. Soured a little bit. We've expected, you know, all of this from him and, and he hasn't produced the way we have wanted him to. It feels like we had to wait for him in Columbus and now we're waiting for him again in Winnipeg. He like, it takes him a while to find his feet. Mm hmm. All right, uh, I want to know who you guys think is that top power play quarterback. Is it Morrissey? Is it Neil Pionk? So what I have here, I just and I have this in uh, in bold. I don't like any of these defensemen. <laughs> All right, that that's the first thing I have about the defensemen in general. I don't like any of these defensemen, at least as far as fantasy goes. I think Pionk is overrated. I always have. I always will. Um, but he is definitely the number one. You'd have to think he's going to get that best or that top power play. Is it Josh Morrissey? If it is, he's worth having on your team. Otherwise, he otherwise he's waiver wire fodder. I don't hate Nate Schmidt, but he's not a player that like you want to have on your team all year long. Do you want Nate Schmidt on your team all year long? Mm, depends how deep. The answer is no. Depends how deep. The answer is no. You know the answer. <laughs> Sixteen team cats. Yeah, probably. 12-team Cats, maybe. Cats? Well, then I'm taking Logan Stanley. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, shit. Especially with the risk of uh, potential rolling power plays and whatnot. Like, even last year, Schmidt tied Pionk on, in power play points. And he shouldn't. It's weird. The funny thing is, all three of those guys had more than Ehlers. Not funny at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wouldn't be looking to any of those guys if your focus is uh, power play points or points in general, really. Uh, yeah. it's pr- Things are probably going to get more even, more parity across the D there. So I'm just not my scene. There wasn't much of a 
difference last year. Morrissey had 51% of the power play time. Pionk had 44%. It's 22 seconds difference. Morrissey had a 38-point pace. Pionk had 36. Neither D-man was like really offensively valuable. They both had 150 hits. Both had more than 90 blocks. Pionk had uh, 35 more hits. Morrissey had 13 block blocks more. Uh, shots on goal was Morrissey, 173 to 140. Even strength time on ice was Morrissey. Like it's it's coin toss. It doesn't matter, especially if it's going to be 50 50 again. These are two 40 ish point guys. Pionk, obviously, when he was the sole proprietor of the top power play, I think he hit 50, maybe even 55. I'm not remembering that you know spot on, but uh, you know if bonus goes 50 50, it's both these guys are going to be middling. I I don't think I'm targeting them, but I'm also not you know, pissed off that if they're, they're my worst D man. Yeah. I mean, Pionk had that one bump because the the one year when Winnipeg lost all of their defensemen, like all of them. And then Pionk started to do okay. It was like, they just went, okay, we have a guy who can play, just let him play and we'll yeah. figure it out later. And okay. now it's just, you like, need to play as much as Bufflin Myers and Truba go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. God, think about that. eh? yeah, that was a rough that's, year. Jesus. And that's going to bring us right into the goalie situation. I mean, Bonus has been known to be good for defense. So I'm, I feel bad about it, but I'm kind of bullish on Hellebuck here. And I know that's probably the wrong opinion to have. The offense might be stifled because, you know, he does roll those lines and maybe it's not the strong offensive team as we know. But who knows until we know. What I do know is over the last five years, no one has played more in goal than Hellebuck. And that's 24 game margin over Vasilevsky. He's averaging 67 starts over that span. You go back even further, he's second in wins, has the most saves by 800, third in shutouts, tied for sixth for the best save percentage, so he's giving you quality as well. He's top 20 in goals allowed. It sounds really good, but really that's bottom half of the NHL starters. Goals allowed average. So I think if you want sturdy volume at a high to decent price, Hellebuck is a good guy to have. Like we've seen kind of a shift with the zero G movement, uh, Vasilevsky's going in the second round in our mock drafts. Shesterkin is also up there. Soros will probably get drafted ahead of him, but Hellebuck, like in the fifth, I'd be fine with that. Totally. And if you look at the games too, like last year, Riddick behind Soros, he played 17 games, which put some, you know, keeps Hellebuck right around that same game volume. I don't know if, if, uh, bonus will try to even it out a little bit. I don't know that he'll try to even it out a little bit if he is. David Riddick behind. No, I, I definitely wouldn't see it being even, but it could it could go more towards a 60-20, but regardless, like evening out, he's still going to be one of the goalies who faces the most shots. So if saves and, and that kind of thing is, is big in your league, I think Hellbuck's still very valuable. I think in terms of depth options here, we've we've kind of covered it. Logan, Logan Stanley's great for bangs. Mason Appleton could make an appearance, you know, as a streamer once every couple weeks. We're waiting on Christian Veselainen. I don't think that boat's ever going to hit sail, but we're talking to get another team of feast or famine here. If you're not in the top six, you're not fantasy relevant. If you're not on the power play, you're not fantasy relevant. Mm-hmm. So it's tough. But, you know, Winnipeg is what it is. They've got some good prospects in the system. They drafted really well this year. They got Brad Lambert really late. They got Rucker McGrady. They have Chaz Lucius. They have guys like Vili Hainola. Um, I think they still have him. I, I'm going to have to double check that unless they fuck something up. But, man. That's that's Winnipeg. St. Louis up next, man. A lot to talk about on this one. There is a bunch of rosterable names in here. There's no big names. Like I know Val- Vladimir Tarasenko had a point per game season, but it is what it is. They're they're very evenly distributed. They're like 
Montreal on steroids. Everybody, instead of Montreal, everybody's a 40 or 50 point guy. In St. Louis, everybody's a 60, 70, 80 point guy. All right. They finished ninth in the league, 49, 22, and 11, third in goals four per game. They had the second best power play. That's with an asterisk. David Perron led the team in power play goals and power play points, and he's gone. So watch out for the power play next year. Well, you're replacing that with Booch Sure. And I'm not saying like it's a Booch Navich is fucking awesome. He is. <laughs> but Perron just had a great year on the power play. Absolutely great year. They lost Perron. They brought in Noel Shari, who's my favorite fourth line center in the league. They lost Vili Huso. Now they have Joel Hofer uh, as their backup. I think when we get to goalies, we're going to be talking about Bennington pulling volume once again. Let's get into these main fantasy targets. Robert Thomas right off the bat. What a breakout. That breakout got him paid. Yeah, sure did. Big time. What do you get? Eight million? Christ. Eight by eight, I think. Yeah. Yeah, eight years. That's tough, man. That's tough. He did he did it though. He did it. He did it. And he's really good, but just wait for the regression because he just got paid. True. I mean, that was that was a contract year that's gonna play into it. He was part of everything. He had a 70% IPP, 21 secondary assists, which is only 37%. So that's a pretty good rate. He's a points only type of player. There's no hits there. There's no shots. No. There's no blocks. No. He only had 14 power play points. He is points only. There are a few signs of regression that I don't like. 13% on ice shooting. Uh, you know, that range has been historically closer to 10 or 11 for him. He spent a lot of his time with Buchnevich and Tarasenko. They collectively had a 16% on ice shooting percentage. That's going to fall big time. He's also going to spend a lot of time with both of those players this year, too. Yeah. But like we were talking about in Nashville, I think collectively they all regress down. And it, it means, uh, you know, instead of a rising tide, it's, it's a waning tide, I guess you would call it. That may be true, and, and I'll, I'll give you that. But I still think that Pavel Buchnevich, Robert Thomas, and Vladimir Tarasenko are a better line than Forsberg, Granlin, and Duchesne. I think they are a better line. I just do. You could be right. I just do. I trust them more. Now, do I think that there is going to be a little bit of regression or a chance for it? Absolutely. But do I also think that Robert Thomas could score in the 70-point range again or even 80 points? Yes, I do. Mm. I think that Pavel Buchnevich is a 70-point player. Yes, I do. Under. I'll take the over on 70 points for both for both Robert Thomas and Buchnevich. We can write that one down. 70 is great. I'll take the under on point again. 70, I said 70-point player. Yeah. I, I said they could still be 70-point players. I mean, I think there could be a little bit uh, a chance at regression, but like if they're getting to the 70s, I like it. Yeah, I'm with you guys. That <clears throat> sounds comfy. The, uh, the big difference is this is like two lines of Nashville, though. Like if you look at Nashville, we saw all of their stats, all of their points in every you know bit of time on ice, whether it's special teams or, or, or five on five, all of their stats were taken up by five players, whereas St. Louis is like nine or 10 players, right? Like they had, what, nine guys hit 20 goals last year, eight, nine guys who can legitimately play on power plays. So it's a little bit more stable overall, even though they're definitely not a flashy team. Like they don't have any... Tarasenko, I guess, is a little flashy, but really they are a team team. Sturdy. It's really well built. They're just a team worth of hard workers. Yeah, with Nashville, it's like if you don't get that top power play, you are nothing. Whereas in St. Louis, if you get dropped down to the second PP, it's still actually fine. Yeah. 
I like Thomas to hit around the 70 point range and I like the less risk if players get moved around compared to well, the other two teams we've talked about for sure. So. Yeah, a lot less feast or famine here. Where I think that Perron problem is really going to rear its ugly head is on that second line, obviously, because now you have Brandon Saad, Ryan O'Reilly, and Jordan Carew. And Jordan Carew had that massive breakout last year. You know what's scary is we talked about it in the Toolbox episode. I like him as sustainable. Like There was nothing that jumped out to me about Kiru's game or his underlying metrics that really that scared me about next year. And Perron is going to be tough. And he has a knack for the theatrical, doesn't he? He's good. And he's approaching his breakout threshold of 200 games. Man, at the end of the game or in, or in overtime, Jordan Carew comes to fucking play. I, I like him for 70 again. Like in overtime, Jordan Carew was like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to win the fucking game. I ain't going to try to, you know, let's try to win, but I'm going to score this goal. And he doesn't. And he does it. Is it Dauber? I forget who does it, but the the 20, he's 24, right? This is Cairo's 24-year-old year, which... That breakout threshold that I was talking to you about. So he's, yeah. what, at 175 games? I think it's 200 games for for regular forwards, and then I think it's 300 for power forwards. But, you know, Kiru's approaching that. And, you know, Perron is going to stunt that full capability. But I think Kiru is is strong enough. And I think, you know, with, with Perron on his way out, that spells good things for Saad which is weird to say because he's never really been more than a 50-point guy, but you know it, it, yeah. it could work. It could very well work. Maybe JT Miller winds up there. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> JT Miller. Wow. No, I don't, th- I don't think so. Wow. Yeah, never All right. Um, Pavel, what do you got, Raj? Oh, nothing. I'm just bitching about JT Miller still. <laughs> All right. I got to nip that in the bud before, before this turns into a three-hour podcast. But uh, Pavel Buchnevich, I know Zach and I are really, really big fans of this guy, Raj. I don't know if you're on the same. 100%. Bullish. For sure. Over point per game this year, which is wild. 30 goals for the first time in his career. Uh, 46 assists. Had 19 power play points. Everything else looks pretty good under the hood. Didn't really see heavy power play usage. He could be the guy that's seeing... Uh, Perron's power play time, which would be huge for him on a personal level. I think point per game is well within reach, projectable. I don't know, but I think it's, you know, it's it's something worth mentioning. Secondary assists got a little out of hand, teetered the 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 other way. Fifty two percent of his assists were secondary, so there could be a little bit of luck playing in. But I think with any extra time on ice that washes out, I feel pretty good about point per game. Seventy five, I'll take the over. Eighty two, I start to get a little. Uh, I don't know. It feels like a really good line, like right at 80. Well, and he was, he was second on the team in power play points, actually, excluding Perron, but he was, he was right there with Tarasenko and, uh, Buchnevich plays a bit shorthanded. He had a couple shorthanded goals as well. So he gets, he gets some decent minutes. I'm uh, definitely, definitely into Buchnevich and he's probably going to have a left wing, right wing availability all year. Because uh, they do shift that top six around a bit. and Yeah, I, lo- I like him a lot. And you want to talk about another under-the-radar player? Pavel Buchnevich. He's I, I don't think that he's going to go super high in your league. Chances are he won't. He is just an under-the-radar sort of guy, and he is going to produce. He is. He's no stranger to hits. I mean, he's not doing it like, a, you know, a hit a game, but he's got close to 60 hits in a full season, so... He's not doing nothing, but he's not going to carry your team. Next up, I got Vladimir Tarasenko. He does hit over a hit a game, which is rad. 34 goals this year, 230 shots, over three shots a game. Just a a real renaissance year for him. It's a career year by way of points per game. 
90 point pace for Vladimir Tarasenko, which is weird because he had that, mm-hmm. you know, the trade request that he has yet to rescind. So he's that's still out there. Uh, we'll see what happens there. He could still be playing kind of angry or spiteful or whatever, whatever kind of direction he's going in right now. I like it and I want to see more of it. 90 point pace. That's tough uh it's weird i want to set the line at 75 i think that's a pretty comfortable line to set what do you think over under he's he feels like a 75 point player doesn't he He doesn't feel like a 90 point player everyone on st louis feels like a 75 point player to me um (laughs) i think that's where he's going to be he's always got the added bonuses he's going to score the most goals on that team and get a good amount of hits so he's got a little more value Uh, than a couple of the other guys. But then again, Tarasenko, although he's been good this year, he played 75 games, he's always prone to missing some games. I mean, not really. That's only been lately. Yeah, there was a lot of shoulder issues, I think. It was, you know, the prior two years where he definitely did get hurt a lot. And I think that plays a little part into his fantasy value dropping. And then he shot out of the cannon again this year. And you realize that, hey, I just picked Vladimir Tarasenko up in the 11th round and he played like a fifth rounder, you know? That's right. Interested to see where his ADP falls uh, in our mock drafts and and that Yahoo ADPs and things like that. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly, man, had a down year. He disappointed a lot of people. A lot of people. Shot rate was uh, down. Point pace was down. He had 61 point pace from his 79 point pace last year. Shows up in the playoffs, man. And and that's the thing, too, is the recency bias is always there. He he goes bonkers in the playoffs. And then, you know, you're going to get 70, 60 points and whatever. If you're in a faceoff league, he's a must-have. You know, if you're in points or cats or something like that, like there's no hits to be had there. There are barely any blocks. If you're in faceoffs, then it starts to make sense. But I don't know. What are you guys taking? So he he scored 61 points last year. I want to know if you guys like the over or the under on that and why. I think 60 points with nothing else to offer is kind of what I think about O'Reilly. Like uh, face-off leagues, sure, he's going to take a ton of those. But he's an old guy getting older. He's uh, on a really well-rounded team. And he's just he's just a good hockey player. I'd way rather have him on my real-life team than on my fantasy team. I'll give you that. But, I mean, you know what you're getting from him. And he's going to be playing with Jordan Carew again. Chances are that is going to be that second line. It's going to be him with Jordan Carew, and we'll see who's on the other side. Is it even Ivan Barbashev? I wonder if they bring Shen back up. I wonder if they have Shen at wing instead of having like a you know a three pronged approach rather than Brand Sod. I mean, they could figure something out. Who knows right now? But I'd rather have Barbashev than than Sod. Yeah, I had a uh, you know outside players here, and Barbashev was the only guy I had as kind of like a streamer level. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he was what? He was tri-eligible last year. He was semi-relevant, good enough to hold for a week or two. And, you know, he, he puts his name in the ring every once in a while. I'm not even saying you're actually drafting Barbashev at all. But, I mean, he's a guy that I'm always going to look at, you know, keep an eye on how he's doing and try to strike while the iron's hot. I really like Braden Shen in fantasy. I love him. He's uh, He does it all. 58 points in 62 games so he was you know relatively close to point per game but also two hits a game uh plenty of special teams points so he's was the adp last year 135 so many under radar players here yeah st louis is great for that except for on defense they're they're rightly rated they're not overrated or underrated they're rightly rated on defense they're just blah yeah that's where i was actually headed 
I think people are finally starting to get the Boston taste out of their mouth with Tory Krug. You know, 19 power play points this year, 13 the year prior. And then he was in Boston, close to 30 power play points. We talked about that when he got traded. This was kind of what we expected. 55-point pace, he's still doing Krug things. He's just not with the perfection line, which is a big... That sucks. And he was on the second best power play in the league right now. And he put up 19 power play points. So I wonder if that's your ceiling for Tory Krug. And it doesn't help that he doesn't hit or block. Exactly. And he did lead the, he was definitely the leading D on the, on the team. So it's not like there's anywhere else for him to go. And mm-hmm. they have Falk who can step up and get some PP time as well, right? Yeah, he pops his head up from time to time. What I like about Falk that Krug doesn't do is he fills categories, even when he's not doing power play stuff. Like totally. hits are great, blocks are great, shots are decent. Uh, he put up 47 points for a 51-point pace from Power Play 2 this year. So really under the radar. I, I would rather have Falk at his ADP than Krug at his ADP if I'm playing in Cats. Definitely. Do you know who I always end up with them on my team? Colton Pareko. Colton Pareko. <laughs> Every year. <laughs> Every year. Every year. I always end up with Colton Pareko. And for, hey, hey. He's he's fine to have on your team as like one of your you know one of your low end defensemen. He's not going to be the top end of your defense, but he plays a role. Yep. He had thirty five points last year, and he gets a ton of fucking blocks, he does. a ton of blocks. Like he'll he'll do pretty well on hits, but man, just a ton of blocks because he is a BFG. He's fucking huge. He's a big fucking dude, man. 6'6", 230, yeah. Yeah, he is not tiny. Yeah, Colton Pareko. I always end up with him, and I have no problem with that. So now we're to the part of the show where we're talking about Jordan Bennington. Oh, God. Yes. Um, hard to trust. Gave us a little bit of that Matt Murray feeling. Uh, you know, really good. Won a cup. Kind of faltered. But now he is the number one. Philly Huso stole the job last year. Was one of the best waiver wire pickups of the year. Philly Huso now in Detroit. Jordan Bennington with Joel Hofer behind him. Not going to see. He's not going to steal the job. <laughs> you have to imagine Bennington is is going to be a volume starter, which propels his value. It does, but I just wonder how reliable he's going to be in the quality stat department. I, quantity is going to be there. Not worried about that. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, he won under fifty percent of his games last year, and he was on St. Louis. So I'm in on it, and and I'll I'll tell you why because. I am all about, and you know this, draft value. Last year, his draft value was he he would have gotten drafted higher. People were disappointed. What's going to happen this year? That ADP is going to drop. You are going to get him at a more comfortable round where it's not as much of a risk. And if he hits, then you hit on you know a seventh or eighth round pick where a couple of years ago, he was going in, you know, the third or fourth round. You're probably not going to have to pay that price now. Bennington's ADP last year was 11th round. Awesome. Yeah, you could probably get him around the same He's going to be worth more than, I guarantee, he's going to be worth more than 11th round pick. Jordan Bennington, to me, is the quintessential, you're drafting for the team goalie. You're getting volume out Fine. of him, but you're drafting Fine. for the Blues. You're not drafting for Jordan Bennington. Their defense, by way of expected goals against, was bottom half, bottom quarter, in fact. They were 24th in the league, um, right there with the Ducks and the Islanders in terms of defense. So that's tough. That sucks. They did get Nick Letty, so it might go It might go up. I would consider Bennington if wins are a big part of your league. 
Because he's going to get wins and he's going to get a lot of games. But yeah, his quality starts, quality of percentage stats and things like that might be definitely questionable. I think points leagues, it's great. Points leagues, volume is king. I think in cats leagues, like if you have three cats, they're goalie cats, only one is wins. And then you have goals against and save percentage or something like that where quantity, quality might, uh, like I might fade Jordan Biddington a little bit. I'm not going to be super worried if he's, you know, my second goalie which is, I think, where he might fit in. Like, if you draft early, Mm -hmm. if you're going 0-G and get Bennington in the 12th round, 13th round, whatever, even 10th, I think I'd be okay with it. But I'd feel a little iffy with him as my number one. But I do think we get 60 starts out of him, and that's how you get top-tier goalie is volume. Mm -hmm. We talked about it in in one of our earlier episodes. All 10 of the top 10 goalies had 53 or more starts. I think it was like 30 wins. So you're you're drafting for wins. And I think Bennington's a perfect place for that. Their prospect pipeline, we saw a little bit of Scott Perunovic. Uh, you know, Tori Krug was out for a little bit in the playoffs. Perunovic was seeing some top power play time. I think maybe there's a shift happening there. Maybe they get Falk off the power play altogether and they bring Perunovic in. That could happen. They might double up on D. Who knows? They got Jake Neighbors, Zach Bolduck. There's some good prospects there. Uh, I think they got Jimmy Snuggerud this year. So... St. Louis is doing okay. Who did not go to Pittsburgh? I, I thought for sure he would. They, I think they picked o, Owen Pickering or something, like a defensive. I don't know. Fucking Ron Hextall, ladies and gentlemen. All right, to close out part one of the Central Divisional Preview is Dallas. Yeah. Uh, finished 15th, 46, 30, and 6. They were 11th in terms of power play. They were 21st in goals for key additions, Peter DeBoer. New head coach, John Klingberg situation still remains unfinished. They added Mason Marchment. Great ad. I love this ad. That's nah, cool. Brayden Holtby is gone. The main fantasy targets here, I mean, we we know that top line boys like Jason Robertson, Rupi Hints, uh, Joe Pavelski. Joe Pavelski led the team in points. Jason Robertson led the team in goals. Rupi Hints is Rupi Hints. Great category coverage guy. Zach, tell me about how much you love Dallas. So you said about Joe Pavelski and Jason Robinson, those are going to be your top two. But I love the fact that Hintz had 72 points in 80 games last year. Pretty much what we've been waiting for to see from Ruby Hintz. Or I guarantee what you have definitely been waiting to see from Ruby, Ruby Hintz. Um, but the whole question is, did Jason Rob- did the emergence of Jason Robertson kind of spur that? Is Jason Robertson the reason for that Ruby Hintz breakout? Well, all right. Before we get too far away, I actually did a little bit of research that's going to be great for this. I think it's going to ease your worries. In terms of high danger chances for Joe Pavelski, 17th in the league. Hints, 39th. Jason Robertson, 46th. All three of these guys are top 50 in the leagues in in terms of getting to the dangerous areas. So I think all three of them working together is fantastic. Like, I got into it. I was looking at their unsustainable stats like, oh, yeah, it's going to be the on-ice shooting percentage. But then I I started digging like all of these guys get to the dirty areas, the high danger zones, which you have to give a little bit of leeway to the shooting percentage. Like guys like Chris Kreider who live in front of the net, guys like Joe Pavelski who make a living off tip-ins and being in front of the net. Those guys are going to have higher shooting percentages. And if all three of them are getting to those dangerous areas, a high on-ice shooting percentage is not. I'm not worried. And, I, and your question was about like Rupi Hints. Is he a passenger here? All three of these guys are driving play. It's amazing. It's amazing. This is a great line. So they're all driving and they're all passengers. It's fantastic. It's like a, you know, 
a human centipede. Oh, gross. Oh, Jesus. Pavelski is still, he's like friggin' 38 years old and he's still not getting the credit he deserves. Like, Good, then draft him low and sell him high like every other year. I got him, I think, in the eighth round last year and he ended up being a nice. 53rd overall skater in our league. So yeah, he he's fantastic value. Everyone keeps saying, oh, it's over. He's so old. And then it's, it's over. He's so old and he's still the same. Robertson, fuck man. They're all so good. They're all so good. Since about two months into his career, he's been fantastic. The one thing I'm actually really, really excited about is Sagan with Marchment. If they do that, man, like Marchment outscored Jamie Benn last year. That's what I put down too. You want a Mason Marchment hype piece right now? Dude, 18 goals, 29 assists. Jamie Benn had 18 goals, 28 assists. And uh, Marchment played 30 less games. I'm down. All right. I'm going to get you guys fucking stoked for Mason Marchment right now. He is good. I already am. I'm going to get you more stoked. He is great at creating chances and dangerous ones too. 71 point pace in Florida. And yeah, you're going to say, okay, well, they are the most potent offense in recent history. He only had 14 minutes time on ice and he put up a 71 point pace. The sustainability metrics are not good. He had a high IPP, very high on a shooting percentage, high secondary assist rate for a forward high five on five shooting percentage. Here are the good metrics. 59th in scoring chances, 65th in shots on goal, 11th in expected goals for 28th in high danger chances, 71st in rush attempts, 36th in rebounds, sixth in penalties drawn. He pims, he hits, his shots are good. I think he's going to get more time on ice than 14 minutes. And he's, he's going to hit 2.5 shots a game. Easy. Mason Marchman is going to be He's got to be on like my breakout list somewhere, man. Like if he's in the top six, if he's with Gurionov and Sagan, I'm a huge fan of this signing. He is going to be very dangerous. Absolutely. And the thing is like with IPP, I think there's two ways to read IPP because like if you're a bad player on a good line, you're going to have a high IPP and you don't deserve it. But if you're a good player on a shitty line, like Marchment was playing few minutes, didn't... I mean, it wasn't a bad line, but... And it wasn't even a shitty line. No, it wasn't a bad line. But the thing is, if you have a high IPP, that means you're involved in all the points, right? Two ways to, to read that. If you see a high IPP and a high secondary assist rate, that's the red flag for me. Exactly. If you have a high IPP, somebody like Roman Yossi, where everything moves through him, mm-hmm. then I give you a little le- leeway. And he's a defenseman, so those secondary assists are going to come. But you pair those two things together and you get a little bit worried. Otherwise, yes, you are the straw that stirs the drink there. And and Marchment could be that guy. Sagan's coming off his hip injury. He's going to be revived. Guryanov, like he's kind of a 20, 20, 40 point player. And I think he could excel too if if that line really takes off. Marchment, such a great add for this team. I'm I'm very I'm fully stoked here. Torqued, bricked up. Well, you know what he is? He's like he's a Jamie Ben that still works. Yeah. Right? Like <laughs> he's not a super young guy, but he's a big dude. And trading in for the newer model. Exactly. I mean, hopefully Ben gets shoved down to the third line where he belongs. I got a I got a rager just sitting over here listening to the last three minutes of what we were talking about. <laughs> All right. Rager. So the top line we've pretty much covered, Jason Robertson, you know, two years ago, he was one of the most potent uh, primary points scorers. I think he's going to see fairly identical uh, deployment under DeBoer. There's no question 
of that line's chemistry. Nobody's going to question that. No coach in their right mind is going to go in there and break that line up. So I think they're safe in terms of the pecking order, the hierarchy in Dallas. Seems like a lock for 75-plus. He was over point per game again this year, and it wouldn't surprise me if he did it again. His rookie year, like I said, dominant for primary points. Him, Rupi, and Pavelski, they complement each other so well. Like Rupi hints on his own, Held steady, shooting over 15%. I think it's fair we can slap him down with a above-average finisher. Uh, you know, he gets to the dirty areas. He chugs shots, is unchallenged for top-line, top-power play. Scoring chances like crazy. All three of these guys are great. Um, Tyler Sagan, we talked about this. Raj, you and I have been going back and forth. Like, you know, after this hip surgery, he he should come back to somewhat of of, of what he used to be. Yeah, I mean, he's down to 218 shots last year. So if he brings yeah. that back up to his 300-ish, I mean, he was he was at 50-point pace, which if he can get that back up, maybe Marchment can excite him. I don't know. I wouldn't feel like playing if I look over and there's Jamie Benn that I'm waiting to skate up the ice still. So granted, he's had a year to sort of get his hip back going. He was definitely not the focus of the team this year, and for very good reason. They had a line that could take care of it. So I think Sagan's going to probably end up back in the hopefully 70. Definitely, definitely going to be better than a 50-point player this year. I, I think he'll be around 70, yeah. As the year went on, he did get better. And, you know, the concerning part for me, like his best seasons, he was shooting four times a game. And like now he's around two and a half. He lost a lot of time on ice. Like he was 20 minutes in his best seasons. Now he's around like 17 and a half. I mean, you're not getting those shots back with that time on ice. It's just not going to happen. So I don't think no. there's going to be, you know, we're going to have to watch to see how DeBoer deploys him. I think he is a top power play kind of guy. You look at guys like Jonathan Marcheseau under DeBoer, second liner, right around 1730. So right around that same area. Sagan just got engaged. So I'm sorry, ladies. I'm sorry, Zach. But I think, uh, you know, that that could play into him a little bit. <laughs> Tyler Sagan's a good-looking dude. He's a very good-looking dude. He's no Roman Yossi, yeah. but he's a good-looking dude. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I, I like him for 65-ish, maybe 70. The biggest question mark in Dallas, Miro Heiskanen. Is Klingberg back or not? If Klingberg is gone, no. Heiskanen's going to have he's sole ownership of the top unit. Uh, and then you're going to have a, a less enticing power play two option in Ryan Suter. So maybe like with that and second power play just not being as potent. Oh, I forgot Alex Radilov. Didn't he sign in the KHL? So there's there's another subtraction. Uh, but anyway. Deuces. Deuces. I'll see you later. Yeah. So, you know, maybe the power play share moves because that second power play isn't as good. But, I, you know, we've seen flashes of Heiskanen's dominance. You know, remember the playoffs a couple years back? He just hasn't been able to translate it to the regular season. He was top power play in 2021, and he topped out at a 40-point pace. So I'm not ready to project him for like a 50-point guy if he gets top power play because he's already had it, and he didn't do it. It's hard to guarantee or project him. But that wasn't with a team led by Jason Robertson. Yes, that's a great point. Great point. Yeah, I, and I think, you know, 50 points is possible. It's very possible. Like, the, the, their whole dynamic has changed over the past, I would say, two to three years. With the advent of Jason Robertson, it gives this team an, a completely different dynamic. And Mira Haskin and getting that top power play would be huge. I do not see John Klingberg coming back. I do. He has said he doesn't want to be there. And he is now an unrestricted free agent, so he can go wherever he chooses. I don't think that that is going to be Dallas. 
but Mira Haskinen is going to be the substantive power play, power play one quarterback. That power play last year was just outside the top 10. They were number 11, I believe. You know, I, I think this is going to spell good things for Mira Haskinen. And he is another one of those players. We keep on bringing up these players that are, you know, go under the radar. How many times in the past, you know, year or two have you just kind of caught yourself and been like, wow, uh, Mira Haskinen is still available? Boom. I got it. I have to take him right now. I have three teams that I'd like to see Klingberg go to. Dallas is not one of them. But I think they 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 started rehashing contract uh, discussions after Carolina got Brent Burns. Dallas was heavy in for Brent Burns. When they didn't get him, they turned back to John Klingberg. Three teams I'd really love to see get John Klingberg, Calgary Flames. You know, Rasmus Anderson can kick rocks. I think Klingberg would be great. The Winnipeg Jets, they have some money. They have, what is it, $14 million to play with. I think that would be a great add. And the Anaheim Ducks, they got to get to the cap floor. So I think that, you know, if John Klingberg <laughs> just wants to get money, <laughs> he's to going to Anaheim. To the cap floor. They do. They are, they're $9 million under. Uh. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh. A little bit more enticing all around than going to Winnipeg as well. Just at least you're in the sun. And, but he would, he would actually fit really well in Winnipeg just for what the team needs and stuff. But I don't, I don't see him wanting to go there. Dallas has been great with drafting. Um, we're going to get to the prospects here, but I want to, Jake Ottinger. We have to talk about Jake Ottinger finally getting the reins for an entire season. I'm worried a little bit with Pete DeBoer. Vegas, their defense was brutal, brutal. But I think there's enough inherent defense baked into Dallas that he won't be able to fuck it up. They were 11th best in the league by evolving hockey's expected goals against metric. So I wonder if that's worth talking about. I don't know. Jake Ottinger, what do you guys like from him? How many games? I like Jake Ottinger a lot. (laughs) <laughs> um, I think that Jake Andrews, he's going to be in the low 60s, high 50s. I think Scott Wedgwood is trash. He actually did pretty well for them. Don't care. Strange. Don't like Scott Wedgwood. <laughs> don't care. I don't like him. I like Jake Ottinger so much better. I'm huge on Jake Ottinger. And Scott Wedgwood comes from just the line of middling goalies that the New Jersey Devils have been like taken in and spitting out over the past couple of years. Scott Wedgwood is right in the middle of that fucking mix. Jake Ottinger deserves to see what happens with 60 starts. I would love to see what happens with 60 starts. I was going to set the over-under at 55 starts. How about this? I want the over to happen. Me too. Yeah, I think I think he could do it. Yeah, but I think it's going to land somewhere very close to 55. 50-55 sounds a lot better to me than 55-60 in terms of just raw projections. So it's going to be interesting to see. Like they, they they came into last year, so it's really hard to project because they had Hudobin, they had Holpe, they had Ottinger. There were so many hands in that pie that it's hard to go into this saying, okay, he's going to be a 75% starter. It's tough. Lots of cooks. Lots of cooks in the kitchen, yeah. Ottinger, raw talent, great. I think he's going to be good. Defense in Dallas minus Pete DeBoer is something that I'm very comfortable with. Uh, S. Lindell, you know, for a fantasy asset, he's streamable. He's good bottom of the roster, kind of bangs piece. But he's good at defense, too, so I, I like him there. Ryan Suter, sturdy as hell when it comes to defense. They have prospects in the pipeline. Thomas Harley, um, you know, on D, that, that could come up. And... You know, if that's it for the goalies here, but uh, their prospect pipeline, Wyatt Johnson, 
led the OHL, had a fantastic draft plus one year. So, you know, he, he what did he say? He contributed on more than 40% of his team's goals in the OHL for Windsor. Uh, they have Maverick Bork, who they um, acquired in the last few years through the draft, really late draft pick. Thomas Harley, like I was saying, Logan Stankov, and like Jake Ottinger is starting to play, so this is great. Um, we still haven't really seen Ty Delandria yet, so I want to want to see more of him. But uh, I think Dallas is is pretty strong, set up for the future. Don't forget about Student Each either. Yeah, man, this is a this is a pretty good team. But I don't know, is there anything left on Dallas that you guys want to talk about? Maybe Dennis Gurianov. We've been rooting for him for a while. Don't lump all of us into this. We I didn't give a shit about Dennis Gurianov. Blah blah. You were you were his biggest fan at first. Gurianov's got a lot of a lot of fans out there, but definitely a disappointing season. With uh, especially just seeing how, how good Robertson won. They're not strong down the right side. That's just a fact. I think he could be 20, 20, 25, 25, kind of 40, 50 point guy, but uh, the ceiling is just really, really low, which is tough. Well, that's gonna be it for our first divisional preview. We're gonna be coming at you later this week with uh, Colorado, Arizona, Chicago, and Minnesota. What we're doing is we're taking the middle four teams of the division, and then we're taking the top two, bottom two. So next episode, we we got the bottom. We got Chicago, we got Arizona. So bottom's coming. You got the top two, though. But the top is coming, too. So we're going to talk Colorado, Minnesota, a little bit of that Caprizov situation. We'll, we'll be talking about that. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. You know, I'll, I'll go out on a limb here and say, leave us a review if you're digging it. You know, just leave us a review. A little bit of appreciation coming back would be awesome. And if you guys want to talk to us, we are in the Fantasy Hockey Discord. If you got any questions about this episode, if there's certain things you want to hear in the next half of the Central Division preview, uh, feel free to chirp us there or hit us up on Twitter at FHF Hockey. Thanks for listening, guys. This has been great. Love you. Love you. Love you.